friends, come back to that reading I read just a moment ago, Psalm 32. The book of Psalms has always been at the centre of Christian affection. It's a favourite book in the Bible for many a believer, many a Christian's favourite Bible verse, I would hazard a guess, possibly comes from the Psalms. Some of us in Sunday school have learned them off by heart. Psalm 1, the 23rd Psalm, the 24th Psalm, the 100th Psalm, Psalm 121 and so on. The Psalm's always been at the centre of Christian worship. The early church worshipped God in Psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. The Psalms was the, hub, was the hymn book of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, in the heart of God's people everywhere is this beloved book, the book of Psalms. Whatever our circumstances, there's a psalm to encourage us. The book of Psalms have been described as, as a medicine box, and they invite us to draw near to our Heavenly Father. Psalm 32 is the record of David's experience after he had sinned with Bathsheba, and then confessed his sin to the Lord. Psalm 32 is the great psalm of repentance and the joy of forgiveness. Let me give you a little background to this psalm. David had sinned in committing adultery with Bathsheba. One particular year, instead of going into battle, David remained at home in his palace. One evening while on the palace balcony, he looked and he saw a woman. He didn't know who the woman was. She was a beautiful woman. She was bathing. And David, seeing her, desired her. He sends one of his servants to ask who she was. The servant came and told him she was Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. David is told this woman who you've been tempted by has a family. She has parents. She has a husband. In fact, he's one of your own best soldiers. But the flesh is weak. David gives instructions for Bathsheba to be brought into the room of his palace. And when she came, he lay with her. Now David took the lead in all of this. After all, he was king. And she was one of his subjects. And as a result, the child was conceived. When David had the message from Bathsheba that she was with child, he began to think, what can I do? How can I escape from the consequences of my actions? Second Samuel chapter 11, reading from verse 6, takes up now the account of David's thinking and what he did. 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 11. Sorry, 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11, reading from verse 6, takes up the account of David's thinking and what he did. And I quote, So David sent word to Joab, Send me Uriah the Hittite. When Uriah arrived, David asked him how long, uh, asked him how Joab and the soldiers were getting along and how the war was progressing. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house, relax, wash your feet, 
So Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah wouldn't go home, for he stayed that night at the palace entrance with some of the king's other servants. When David was told what Uriah had done, he summoned him and asked, Why didn't you go home after being away for so long? Uriah replied, The ark and the armies of Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my master Joab and my lord's men are camped in the open fields. How could I go to my house and wine and dine and sleep with my wife? As surely as, as, surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to him, Stay you one more night, and tomorrow... Where were we? David confesses his sin to Nathan. And Psalm 32 is the record of the spiritual change that took place when David confessed his sin of adultery and murder. Verse 1, if you're following, Psalm 32, verse 1 and 2. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. The authorised version reads, Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Friends, what do you think people's prescription would be for real joy, real happiness? What do you think people's prescription would be for real joy, real happiness in their lives? What do you think it would be? If we were to ask a hundred people in Clidach, in this little village by you now, around these houses, what would bring real joy, real happiness in their lives? I wonder what their response would be. Probably winning the lottery, the Euro millions, a bigger house, a faster car, all the material comforts. The psalmist David says, blessedness, happiness is to know God's forgiveness. is one of the things you rejoice in every day, and you answer it honestly, is one of the things you rejoice in every day, the knowledge, the fact, the assurance in here that your sins have been forgiven. You see, sadly today, people don't see or feel a need for forgiveness, do they? The majority of people, I'm sure, don't think of themselves as being in a wrong relationship with God. The word transgression, verse 1, if you're following, means a going away, a departure, to infringe or to overstep the mark. You see, in everyday life, if we were to park on a double yellow line, or if we were to drive 30 mile an hour in a now 20 mile an hour built up area, then we'd be transgressing. But friends, in a far more serious way, we have God's laws. And there's not one of us here who has kept those laws. If God was to mark our transgressions, who could stand? If my life was put up on that overhead screen by there, if my life was put up on that overhead screen against the Ten Commandments, I'd be the first one out of this building. There's not one of them I've kept perfectly if you not only examine my deeds, my thoughts, my heart, or my motives. We've lost today Let's have it straight. We've lost today our sensitivity regarding sin, haven't we? 
Let me take you back. Do you remember, perhaps, when our parents first introduced the television into our home? Do you remember? If certain scenes came on, we'd switch off. If certain words were said, we'd turn over the channel. That's how it was. Yes, we try to do right. We try to do what is right, but we fall short. We don't measure up. We miss the mark. In the ancient world, you see, falling short or missing the mark was a term used in archery. It describes a person who shoots at a target, but whose arrow falls short. It misses the mark. In God's sight, there are things we do say and think which deep down we know are wrong. All of us struggle in this area, I'm sure. Human nature pulls us down as gravity does. Even today, we may be found in a situation that is wrong. And that situation or circumstance, whatever it is, puts us in God's debt. The sin in our lives sits against us and is in God's records. The Lord knows the truth. You can deceive me and I can deceive you. It's in his records. David was a man who knew, who knew what it was to sin. He knew what it was to commit those, as we say, big sins. Murder, adultery. And David tried to deceive God. He tried to cover up his sins and pretend nothing had happened. How then did David find forgiveness? Well, to begin with, friends, the Lord would have made him aware of his sin. The conscience is a marvellous gift from God, isn't it? Conscience is the window that lets in the light of God's truth. The Lord would have made David aware that he was a transgressor, somewhere guilty of iniquity. Then David would have remembered the promises in the Old Testament as a man confessed his sins and offered a sacrifice in place of himself that God would pardon and forgive his sins. Now, before moving on, we know, don't we, that no sacrifice of an animal David would have offered could actually take away sin. But every animal sacrificed in the Old Testament was a pointer, an advertisement, pointing towards the day when someone, pointing towards the day and the time when someone would come. Someone who would take away the sins of the world. So when Jesus came, John the Baptist pointed to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. When David, when David's sin remained unconfessed, when he kept silent, he tells his own story in our passage here. In our chapter, verses 3 and 4, My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. The Lord chastened David for, a, for almost a twelve-month. The Lord made him miserable. David, during those difficult months, became a physical wreck. Commentators say he was probably around the age of 50 at this time, but began to feel and look like a sick old man of 90 plus. 
usually robust and ready for action. David now had a constant pain in his body and was groaning because of it. Instead of feeling fresh and full of vigour, he was dried up like a plant during a drought. The quote Charles Spurgeon, friends, God does not allow his children to sin successfully. To have the heavy hand of God's discipline upon us is difficult, but it shows that our Heavenly Father loves us. Hebrews 12, verse 6, Whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Chastening isn't a, pu- isn't a judge punishing a criminal. It's a loving father dealing with his disobedient children. Those verses, you see, 3 and 4 of Psalm 32, are a picture of God's hand heavily upon David in judgment through unconfessed sin. David's very bones seem to be wasting away. His strength was being sapped as in the heat of summer, drawn out of him, as if he were exposed to the heat of summer. Only honest confession from the heart can bring about God's forgiveness. 1 John 1 verse 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us, purify us from all unrighteousness. David confessed all, verse 5. And have a guess what? God forgave all. Fancy that. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. David's confession led to God's heavy hand of discipline being lifted from upon him. He's no longer miserable. Blessed is the man, says David. Happy is the man whose transgressions are forgiven. The pain was worth it, for the experience brought him back to the Lord. Why does God's forgiveness bring happiness? God's forgiveness brings happiness because of how he forgives. God is prepared to cover our sins We cannot hide anything from God, can we? (laughs) But when God forgives us, he is prepared to hide our sins so that he cannot find them. Verse 2, he's prepared not to count our sins against us, whose sin the law does not count against us. Let me take you back again, please. In schools across Wales, before pen and paper, Children used to, used to use slate to write on and do their sums, didn't they? In my day, perhaps the late 60s, early 70s, it was the old blackboard chalk and, and duster. But you know what? The beauty about slate and the blackboard was this, that if you made a mistake, you could clean it. And no record of your mistake would be found. God is able and God is willing to wipe our slates clean. He invites us, speaking through the prophet Isaiah, come now, let us reason together. You can't get fairer than that, can you? Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. God assures 
all who turn to him in repentance and faith, that he will completely cover, wipe out every sin, making us, as far as he's concerned, pure as the driven snow. I don't know what the greatest sin in your life has been, and you don't know what the greatest sin in my life has been. But I know this, if your sin remains unconfessed, it remains unforgiven. And you've got business to do with God. It's as simple as that. The Lord is prepared to forgive all our sins, even our greater sins. And God's forgiveness is a lot different than our forgiveness. When you and I forgive someone, it's very difficult for us to forget, isn't it? Let's be honest. But the Lord chooses to forget the sins of whom he forgives. The Lord buries our sins in the depths of the sea, not like a cork that bobs back up, but like a weight that goes down to the very bottom. When God forgives sins, he never brings it up again. He never brings them up again. Can I ask you gently, have our, sins been f have our sins been forgiven in the sea of God's forgetfulness? The word count, verse 2, the verse count, sorry, the, verse, the, the word count, verse 2 in the NIV, is a bookkeeping term. It's a bookkeeping term. You see, when God forgives sins, this is what happens, if I can illustrate he writes our sins into Christ's ledger and places those sins upon Christ. Yet at the same time, he writes the righteousness of Christ into our ledger and counts us justified. Justified, just as if I hadn't sinned. The authorised version reads, Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, the word impute means that, that sin is not put to our account. One of the many, many wonderful aspects of the gospel message is the truth that our sins were imputed to Christ and his righteousness, his altogether rightness, has been put to our account. Wonderful, isn't it? Forgotten every stain and spot, the memory past and gone, for me, O Lord, thou seest not, thou lookest on thy son. When we humans punish a crime, it's always by punishing the offender. But God's ways are not our ways. God separates the sin from the sinner, placing the sin upon Jesus. Because the sinless Saviour died, my guilty soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. That's grace, isn't it? God's riches at Christ's expense. There's no greater happiness, please. There's no greater blessedness than to know sins forgiven, sins covered, sins atoned for, no longer counted against us. Here's the question. Do you know this blessedness? Do you know this happiness? If we do know this blessedness, if we do know this happiness, verse 11 then tells us, Rejoice in the Lord and be glad you righteous. Sing all you who are upright in heart. Why do we sing? I tell you why I sing. I sing because I've been forgiven. That's why. We sing because we've been forgiven. 
Such is the joy of the forgiven sinner, surely. When David's sin remained unconfessed, he was in effect hiding from God. After David confessed, verse 7a, we find him hiding in God, look. Thou art my hiding place. David had exchanged hiding his sins for a hiding place in the Lord. David's confession led to the protecting hand of God's mercy. Verse 7b, you will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. David went from silence to confession to singing. I say this, please. When our soul is clean through confession and repentance of sin, there'll be a song in our heart because we're in tune with heaven. Verse 8, the Lord promised to those who are forgiven, look, that he'll teach and instruct in the way they should go. We live under the influence of a fallen nature, don't we? So God promises to continually keep his loving eye upon us. I will counsel and watch over you. He doesn't want us to make the same mistakes, you see. Yes, God in his grace forgives us. God in his grace forgives us. But God in his government says, you shall reap what you have sown. Sin has consequences, and we know this. We know this. And so it was for David. God didn't eliminate the consequences of David's sin, but he did forgive the guilt of his sin. See the difference? Sin has consequences. God did not eliminate the consequences of David's sin, but he did forgive the guilt of his sin. The psalmist David found forgiveness. He found forgiveness with God. He confessed his sin. He broke his silence. Answer it honestly of you. Has the burden of your heart been rolled away? Has the burden of your heart been rolled away through your sincere confession of sin before God? Oh, it's always guilt still, please, an ever-present companion in your life. It was in my life, do you know that? It was in my life. I asked the Lord into my heart to forgive me and to come and live within me and help me face the consequences of what I'd done. And do you know what? I heard a voice in you say, Richard Roberts, go in peace whose sins are forgiven. And I tell you one thing, if you can do it for me, you can do it for you. Has the burden of your heart been rolled away? I'm closing. Proverbs 28, verse 13, he who conceals his sins he that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them, renounces them, finds mercy. God cannot prosper those who try to cover sin and wrong deny, but all who humbly will confess. The Saviour in his love will bless. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? You can't beat your old limbs, I don't care what anybody says. Have we been to Jesus for the cleansing power? 
in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Can we honestly sing the words the top lady wrote, the terrors of law and of God, with me can have nothing to do, my Saviour's obedience and blood, hide all my transgressions from view. I've read, friends, that in the Evergreen Cemetery near New York, there stands a gravestone. Upon it is carved just one beautiful word, forgiven. Apparently, there's no other information. No names, no date, nothing but this one word can be seen. And you know what? When it comes to the narrow passage between time and eternity, the all-important consideration is that this one solitary word may be truthfully engraved upon your gravestone and my gravestone. Forgiven. Forgiven. For that word covers everything. Names, dates, places sink into insignificance. Forgiveness is the richest jewel in a cabinet of God's gifts. It's the richest gift because it costs the most to make possible the death of his son, Jesus Christ. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no deceit. May I commend that great blessing to you this evening.